Good morning, everybody. My name is Alex, and I'm the, the pastor here of Ridgeview, and we're so glad that you're here to, to worship with us. And uh, I'm starting a brand new series today called Text, and on the front of your program, you'll, you'll see the new image for that. And every week at Ridgeview, one thing we, we try to do is, is we want to actually dig into the Bible. We want to look at what God says through his word, the scriptures, and take the truth of that and apply it to our own lives, apply it to our context, apply it to the different things that we are handling in our life. But over the next uh, three weeks, we're going to actually be looking at the, the subject of the Bible itself and how is it something that we can uh, read and apply and really learn more about uh, how it was put together. And so today I'm going to talk about the history of the Bible. Uh, next week, uh, I'm going to be looking to answer the question, is, is the Bible reliable? Is it something that I can actually uh, count on to guide me? And then uh, two weeks from today, uh, I'm going to wrap up the series talking about how, how to actually study it uh, for myself. And so uh, we're a church, you guys knew that, uh, and so I'm not doing this series as like a, maybe you would find in a college course, and they have college courses that look at the history of religion, the history of the Bible specifically, and you may spend a whole semester on the history of how the Bible was put together. Uh, we have about 30 minutes to do that, so it's like a college course from coming today. No, it's, it's not going to be like that at all. What My hope today is not to give you every nuance of the history of the Bible because it really would take so long, but to give you really the broad strokes of what's happened throughout history and how it is something that we have it in its, in its form uh, today. And uh, throughout history of, of the Bible, one of the, the key issues was um, accessibility. The Bible was actually something that was not accessible to many people. And throughout history, the main issue with the Bible has been people just couldn't get their hands on it. Uh, today, that, that's not the case. And it's not the case for us, especially in the United States. Our main issue with the Bible is not our access to it. It's our engagement with it. It's actually what do we do with the Bible. And how many of you guys have been in a hotel and opened that first drawer? The hotel, right? You always have a gift from a group called the Gideons. Most of the time, you'll see a Bible there. You have a Bible that's in your hotel room. You have access to that, and so you could read it if, if you choose. And you may have a Bible at home. Uh, you may be able to go to any library, and you'd find a Bible, public, private, where, wherever it is. We can get our hands on it. If you have Amazon Prime, you could get it two days delivered to your front porch, just like everything else. And there's many websites that, that could do that. And so our issue is not accessibility, uh, but it's engagement. And so my hope from this series is how can we learn more about the Bible with the purpose of engaging with it more. Because that is where I believe you actually leverage the Bible for what it was made. It's something that once you engage, it, it changes you. And it, and it leads you in a way, and God uses that to, to lead you. And so that's where, where I'm coming from. But uh, the Bible is actually the, the number one selling book uh, in history. If you take kind of the most popular books ever sold, and you just piled them up here on this stage, and you just took piles and piles of all the most popular books, 
and you combine them, it still wouldn't amass the amount of the Bibles that have been copied. In the last uh, century, five billion copies of the Bible have been printed, five billion. So again, it's, it's not really our access. There's, there's plenty of them. Uh, each year, the estimates, uh, roughly each year, 100 million Bibles are, are printed. That's each year. So what that says is there's a lot out there, but then there's also something happening that's happened throughout history, and that's people continue to want to get their hands on it. So there's something to that. The most popular book that's ever been printed, and it continues to be printed at, at rapid uh, pace. So our, our issue is not accessibility, but, but it's in uh, engagement. So I want to just do a little test of maybe your, your own engagement with, with the Bible, okay? So we're going to have a little game called, Is It In There? Okay? Is it in there? So I'm going to say a phrase, and you just do a thumbs up. If you're really bold, you can hold it high. If not, you can just do this, and I'll be the only one that can see it. Maybe your neighbor. So just thumbs up. And, and neutral, it's fine. I'll let you even just be like, mm, might be. <laughs> I'm going to find out. All right, first one. Is it in there? God helps those who help themselves. Okay? I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to find out. You're going to have to engage with the Bible. to see. You have to read the whole thing to find out. Okay? I'll, I'll give you the answer. God helps those who help themselves. Not in there. Not in there. Okay? This is one of my favorites. I heard this all the time from my Nana growing up. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Come on, you just, which one? Which one? It's not in there. It's not in there. Another one, another popular one. This too shall pass. This too shall pass. Not in there. You shall not pass. That's Gandalf. This too shall pass. That's not in the Bible either. Uh, here's one. Just follow your heart and believe, and you can do anything. Just follow your heart and believe, and you can do anything. That's actually from the book of Disney. That's, that's not. There's Song of Solomon in the Bible. That's a song of Disney right there. Just follow your heart. Actually, n- none of those, uh, I can keep going. N- none of those are actually in, in the Bible, and that's why it's important to learn more about the Bible and engage with it, because there's lots of phrases, and there's even things that you could make an inspirational poster with, and you could post it on social media, and people would think that it's the Bible. You can even put the Bible. But the fact of the matter is, is it may not be in there. So it's very important for all of us to learn what the Bible actually says. Because if it is a truth that we're basing our life on, we want to know that it, it, is it actually uh, in there. So I want to give some background, and I'm going to move uh, pretty rapidly through here. And for, for those of you that are here and you've read the Bible Many years. Uh, this today might be a, a review of some things that you've learned. I hope that it will connect some dots for you. If you're new to the Bible, I hope this gives you some context. So you can maybe learn some things that you've never wanted to ask. And as I've been even doing my own research for this, there's certain things that I never realized, like, oh, like the light bulbs are going off on me. And, and I went to college for that, and I went to seminary for that. And I'm still like, oh. And that's what happens. As, as you learn more about the Bible, more things you learn, and it just kind of keeps on compounding. So the, fo- the first part is the Bible is not a book. Uh, it's a library. And 
I even said the Bible's the number one selling book. It's actually a library of books that's made up of quite a few books. There's 66 different books uh, in the Bible. The first writer of the book uh, in the Bible is, is Moses, and that was written about 1400 before Christ came to earth. So that was the, the first author. And the, the last, the final writer is John. That was written about 95 years after Jesus was died and, and rose again. And so you see this span of 1400 years before and then 95 years after Christ came, a uh, span of about 1500 years the Bible's put together. And it's a library of, of, of books. Uh, it was written by authors at different ages, at different stages of life, on three continents. And it actually all has a theme and a story that's unified throughout. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, there were prophets and poets, princes and kings, sailors, soldiers, all telling a similar story. Uh, some of the books were written in homes. Some were written in prisons. Others were written on ships. And you have really in one library of books a diverse group of, of people with experiences and backgrounds. The reason I, I mention that is that's who we are. We're a diverse group of people from different backgrounds and different histories, and it's the same with the writers uh, in the Bible. Uh, another major point, and you could follow along in your, in your handout if you want to take notes there, but it's all, it's all on there, and it's also up here on the screen, but it contains, the Bible contains different kinds of literature, and you'll, you'll see it written here. Go ahead and put those up. The first is, is history, laws, praise, poetry, prophecies, gospels, letters. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about where these fit. The reason this is important to know is this, is this actually helps you how you interpret different parts of the Bible. Because laws are things that, that God has given and commands for you to do. If you read a law like you would poetry, maybe that law is not a law. It's just a picture of something that could be. And so you're not necessarily going to want to live by that because it's, it's an idea. But if you read read a law like a law, then it's something that you actually should, should follow. And the same is true. If you read maybe a piece of poetry like you would a letter of instruction, and this poetry is telling you to do something, you, you could find yourself in trouble. And so poetry is supposed to be read like poetry, letters like letters, prophecy like prophecy. And so knowing that will be helpful, and, and I'll kind of talk about where, where those fit in the, in the overall context of the Bible. Uh, 43% of the whole Bible, of all the books, 66, 43% is, is narrative. It's, it's the story of things that, that have happened. Uh, 33% is poetry. When you add the poetic forms throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, 33%. 24% is really written in ordinary language, where you have laws, sermons, letters, and one, one essay. And so again, it helps you as you interpret it because depending on how it's written, uh, that, that's the lens for which you're supposed to, to look at it. Uh, it has two major divisions. Uh, I think we know this. It has the Old Testament and uh, the New Testament. Now, testament means covenant partnership. And so you have the old covenant partnership between God and his people. And the New Testament is the new covenant partnership between God and his people. But the covenant and the partnership are actually connected. 
uh, the Old Testament of the 66, 39 are in the Old Testament, written over a thousand years. And then in the New Testament, 27 books. Now, in the Old Testament, written over a thousand years, but the New Testament, they're written within 40-ish years of each other by first-generation followers of Jesus. So you see a difference. Very short amount of time the New Testament was written in, opposed to the Old Testament, a thousand years versus roughly 40. You'll see a picture here of the Old Testament, uh, which is also known kind of in the Hebrew scriptures from history as the, the Tanakh, which is the summary of the Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible, the Old Testament. First five books is known as the Torah, and it's teaching, God's teaching to his people. Uh, then there's prophets. That's the next part. There's former prophets. Those are books like Joshua, Judges, and First Samuel to Second Kings. And then there's a lot of prophets from Isaiah and Malachi. You'll see all these books in, in your scripture. And so first five books, the Torah, then you have the prophets, and then you have just writings. And these are books like Daniel, Esther, the Psalms, the Proverbs, some of which are poetry. And so the New Testament, again, similar covenant. It's just the new covenant. And I, I want to just summarize this, this briefly. Uh, you'll see a picture there. Uh, th- this picture is, is actually from a group called the Bible Project. If you go to thebibleproject.com, and again, I'm exposing you to some basic categories of the history of the Bible. But if you go to thebibleproject.com, they have videos. How many of you guys like videos? You'd much rather watch a video than hear a guy talk to you, okay? I'll have a video today, too. So it'll only be three minutes. But uh, they do videos, and with their kind of explaining things and their artistic, like, drawings, they, they really help the Bible come alive. And so they, they have a lot of things. And if you're interested, I'll say this at the end, but if you write Bible Project on your connection card on the next steps, I'll send you a link that can kind of get you oriented in, on some things that, that you could watch for more info. So uh, the Gospels in the New Testament are the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are all narratives about Jesus' life. So the first four books, Jesus' life in the New Testament. Uh, then there's the book of Acts, which follows John. And that's the narrative of the early church. So really the five books in the New Testament, the first five books are narrative. First four, Jesus' life. The book of Acts is the narrative of the early church and the spread of Christianity. Okay? And those are going to read very differently than the beginning of the Old Testament. Uh, there's a lot of letters in the New Testament. 13 are from Paul. He was an apostle, a church planter, really helped the spread of Christianity. So a lot of the New Testament is written by him. So you'll hear on Sundays a lot of times, Paul said this. Paul wrote this. The church planter Paul from the first century, that's because 13 letters are from him. And then there's letters to the Hebrews. Two letters are from brothers of Jesus. They have obviously firsthand account, James and Jude. Five letters are from Peter and John, uh, Jesus' closest uh, followers. And then the last book is specific category of itself. It's, it's revelation. It's prophecy of what's to come uh, in Jesus's return. And so in the New Testament, you have these letters, you have these narratives, you have this revelation prophecy, but they're, they're all really highlighting the life and death of Jesus. They're highlighting uh, the resurrection and renewal, what it meant that Jesus not only died, but that he rose again, and what that means for his followers. And then the Jesus movement is how do his followers actually live and conduct their life. And so in the New Testament, as you read, there's so much instruction because it's something new, Christianity, that people are learning and trying to figure out how do we actually relate to each other 
How do we do life being that Jesus came, he died, and he rose again? How does that change the way that we see ourselves and we operate? And even that is connected to to the the Old Testament. And so that's kind of a summary of the Old Testament summary of of the New Testament. And then another helpful thing to know is, is the books of the Bible are not compiled in chronological order. So you, you don't read it like a novel. If you do, you kind of find yourself being like, man, this is the roughest novel I've ever read. Because you start in the Old Testament, and maybe Genesis, you're kind of, that's interesting, that's the creation and God's beginning commands to humans. But then you start getting into some other like Exodus, and that's kind of interesting. And then you get into Leviticus, you get into Numbers. And Numbers is a really great title of the book. It talks a lot about Numbers. But that's like if you were in a movie, you'd walk out like, this is too slow. I don't know where this is going. And that's what happens many times as people try to engage the Bible. They begin to read it in chronological terms, and so they get stuck. Too many people don't engage because they get stuck about Leviticus or Numbers, and they just, they never get past that. But those are all, you know, unique books to themselves that you can learn a lot from, but the Bible as a, you know, chronologically is not written like that. And so at the info table, after service, uh, there's a chart that looks like this of the Old Testament. And it's actually a chart that shows how it is written chronologically with the different books that speak to what's happening during that time. And so you, you can look at that and then go to the next screen. There's one of the, the New Testament uh, as well. And so you'll see a timeline, the different categories, history, Paul's letters, general letters, some of which I've already explained, and then what, what's happening, and then how the books are written. And so that's just to give you give kind of you a, you a handle. There's also a handout on the info table as well that just has the whole Bible and the, all the different books. Because we could also play a game like, is that in there? And I could give a name, and you'd be like, is that a book in the Bible? Those can be confusing. Habakkuk, is that in there? It is. Would you ever say that? Probably not. But that, that's in the Bible. And so you can grab the, this chart. You can grab the handout that has the books of the Bible, and that can just give you, okay, this is how the Old Testament flows. This is how the New Testament flows, just so you can get, you know, your handles uh, on that. And so uh, there's also a bookmark on the info table as well where you can read some scriptures this next week, Monday through Friday, and you could read them in like a chronological order, in a way thematically. And so you could read some of the Old Testament and then some history goes along with that, and then some, some poetry in the Psalms, and then some of the New Testament. You could see how that story uh, fits together. And that's one of the things that we'll talk about in a moment, is that there really is this, this story and theme that, that, that God is weaving throughout the Bible. And so charts, handouts, bookmarks, I don't want to stuff your program with things that you may not want, but it's all back there on the info table. And if you have questions too, you're like, I have no idea what that means, uh, you, can, you can also talk to me after service. So what I want to do now is I promised you there would be a video. And so we're going to watch this uh, from the Bible Project, which summarizes a little bit of what I've talked about. It gives you a visual picture of it, and then we'll kind of fill in some of those dots. So, So let's watch this together. The Bible. It's one of the most influential books in human history. It explores the big questions of why we exist. It's inspired many people to do amazing things. And confused many others. And you've probably got one sitting around somewhere. So, what is the Bible actually? 
Well, the Bible is a small library of books that all emerged out of the history of the people of ancient Israel. And in one sense, they were just like any other ancient civilization. But among them were a long line of individuals called prophets. And they viewed Israel's story as anything but ordinary. They saw it as a central part of what God was doing for all humanity. And these prophets were literary geniuses. Really? Yeah, they expertly crafted the Hebrew language to write epic narratives, very sophisticated poetry. They were masters of metaphor and storytelling, and they leveraged all of this to explore life's most complicated questions about death and life and the human struggle. So there's a lot of different authors writing this book. Yeah, and these texts were produced over a thousand-year period, starting with Israel's origins in Egypt, then leading up to their kingdom with their first temple. But eventually, they were conquered by the Babylonians, who took them away into exile. Then, at a crucial moment in their history, many Israelites returned to their land. They built a second temple, they reformed their identity, and this is when the Jewish scriptures began to be formed into the shape that we have them today. Okay, the Jewish Bible. What's in it? Well, in Hebrew, it's called by an acronym, Tanakh. The T stands for Torah, sometimes called the Law. That's Israel's five-book foundation story. The N stands for Nevi'im, the Hebrew word for prophets. And this section consists of the historical books that tell Israel's story from the prophet's point of view. Then you get the poetic books of the prophets themselves. The K stands for Ketavim, the Hebrew word for writings. This is a diverse collection of poetic books, wisdom books, and more narrative. And the Jewish people believe that through all of these literary works, God speaks to his people. Now, there were other Jewish writings being produced during this Second Temple period as well. Yeah, a really diverse group of texts. And these two were highly valued in Jewish communities. And there was debate from ancient times about whether or not some of these should be considered part of their scriptures. So this is a lot of different writings over a long period of time. Why did they put them all together like this? Well, altogether, these texts tell an epic story about how God is working through these people to bring order and beauty out of the chaos of our world. And it all builds up to a hope for a new leader who would come and renew all creation. And then the Tanakh concludes, and this leader never comes. So it's an expertly crafted work, but it's missing an ending? That's exactly right. Now, a few centuries later, a Jewish prophet comes onto the scene named Jesus of Nazareth. He claimed he was carrying the Tanakh story forward. Yeah, so Jesus did a bunch of cool stuff was killed, but his followers claimed he was alive from the dead. Yeah, they said that Jesus was that long-awaited leader who would restore the world. And so his earliest followers, called apostles, they composed new literary works about the story of Jesus. They called these good news or the gospel. They formed an account called Acts about the spread of the Jesus movement outside of Israel. And then they circulated letters to different Jesus communities all around the ancient world. And they saw these writings as part of the scripture. Yeah, the apostles wrote all of this as the fulfillment of that epic story found in the Tanakh. And they were continuing the literary genius of the Jewish tradition. They also believed that God was speaking to his people through these texts alongside the scriptures of Israel. So that's the Old and New Testament. Okay, hopefully that, that was helpful. There, there's sometimes just helpful to see um, some just the pictures of history and, and, and how it, it moves together. And so I hope that kind of fills in uh, some, some gaps. Uh, like, like I mentioned in, in this video did a good job of talking about that, is that the Bible, throughout all the different letters and the literatures and the different types of things that's going on, it, it tells one single story. 
and the creators of this video described it as this chaos and uh, really hoping for it to be restored, like a beauty to come back to the chaos of this world. And that chaos is, comes from sin. And we learn from the sin in the Old Testament. And from the beginning of time, Genesis 3, as sin entered, uh, God began this work to bring back redemption uh, to the world so people could experience it. Uh, people experience brokenness. Every human experiences brokenness, and that's because of sin. And so the one story that Scripture says and tells is, is this picture of, of redemption. And in the Old Testament, uh, that, that core theme is how God is going to redeem his people. And he gives commands to his, his followers, the Hebrews, the Israelites, and the Ten Commandments. And you see that in the Old Testament. And then they disobey the Ten Commandments, and there's brokenness again. And then they find themselves in slavery and in sin and in rebellion. And he rescues them from slavery. And you see this in the book of Exodus. And then again, they rebel and, and do their own thing. And, and what you find throughout history is it's not just people in the Old Testament. It's not people in the New Testament. It's actually all of us, all of creation. We're always just going our own way in the brokenness and just living there. And the one story of, of the Bible is that the brokenness is not the whole story. You can find redemption. You can be restored. And so the Old Testament brings up these core themes, and there's plot conflict and then design patterns, and so you're seeing God work. And then the New Testament, like the picture there, when Jesus came, you saw that he was continuing in that story. In the Old Testament, they were waiting for this Messiah to come, the person to restore. And there was prophecies in the Old Testament that he would come. And Jesus came, and the early Christians became Christians because they believed that he was the Messiah that was prophesied about. They no longer waited. He was here. And the people that didn't believe, specifically the Jews of the time, thought this cannot be the Messiah, and we're going to continue to wait. And so those Jewish people still wait today. And so that's a big kind of difference between the Old Testament and the Jewish religion and the New Testament and Christianity. Christians believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and he is the one who restored, brought beauty to the chaos, and put the pieces back together, while the Jews are still waiting for that person to come. And so the New Testament speaks of Jesus carrying that, that theme forward, and he is the culmination of that. And this is what he says in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save uh, the lost, uh, the Son of Man is actually the most popular phrase that Jesus refers to himself as. And it's an interesting phrase. Uh, he's known as the Son of God, and he's also known as the Son of Man. And this actually speaks to who he is. He is fully human and fully God. And there's no way you can even put your mind around that except that that's how God ordained the Messiah to come. He would be born of a virgin. And what's interesting, the reason that this son of man uh, phrase is most popular is Jesus was not the Messiah with all of the power, the pomp, and the circumstance. He actually came and, and instead of saying what he was, he, he, he showed what he was. And it's the same with us today. It's this idea of you have to see God at work and through faith realize that he is who he, he says he is. And so the son of man 
uh, refers to two things. One, that, that he, he is human, and he was born to human parents. But he was also the Son of Man, going back to the Old Testament in Daniel 7, the Son of Man was going to be the one who was going to reign forever in heaven. And so even with Jesus' own phrasing, he's going back to the Old Testament. And the people that would hear that phrase would know that in the book of Daniel, there was this talk about the Son of Man who was going to come and lead the people and bring redemption. He'd be raised above every other person. And so he's speaking of his humanity, but also the fact that he was going to reign. And that was tied, not for us, we don't understand that, but to all the people that would listen at the time, they, they would know because of the, their teaching in the Old Testament that he's speaking of what was prophesied about. Uh, Luke 24, 47 uh, says this. This is really interesting. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So the things concerning himself was written when? In the Old Testament. So he's saying that these things that were written from Moses from the beginning, the first writings in the beginning of the Bible, to all the prophets that were awaiting the Messiah, he's interpreting them that the things concerning himself. He, he's saying that I, I am the one that they've been waiting for. I am the Redeemer. I am the Messiah. I'm the one that, that has come back. And so that's the major story. It's redemption that sees itself in the person of Jesus Christ. So for Christians, this is why we celebrate Christmas. That was actually a holiday based on Christianity, the birth of Jesus. Redemption here, born here. And this is also why Easter is such a big deal for Christians as well, because it's the celebration that Jesus did not stay in the tomb, but he rose again out of the tomb so we could have new life so we could have redemption so even even for me like sometimes you think like christmas easter these major holidays and all the consumerism of them and i gotta buy presents for people actually historically it's rooted in this one story the greatest story the story of, of jesus and then because this is true it has one major theme and you see this in ephesians 1 12 in order that we this is talking about the people who believe that Jesus is who he said he is, the people that believed he was the Messiah that came to restore beauty into the chaos, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And so the theme of the Bible is how God has pursued us, he's redeemed us, he brought a Messiah to save us, and he is the king of all kings. And the theme of scripture is how do we, as people who realize that, worship the king? And I talked about that last week, the idea of surrendering. You bow your knee. You say, I don't want to do life my own way. I, I'm willing to follow you. That's the major theme in scripture. It's not just ideas and historical accounts. It's do you want to escape the brokenness of your life, the brokenness of this world, and experience redemption that only comes through Christ. And when you do, you might be for the praise of his glory. That there's a sense of like, we want our life to glorify his name. We want us to magnify him above every other thing. And so that's the major theme. The major story is redemption. The major theme is because we've been redeemed, we need to worship 
God. We need to praise his name. And so that's kind of just some pieces that I, that I wanted to bring together. And I want, I want to turn the corner a little bit. And if, if you're following along in your handout, uh, turn it over. And, and what does it say on, on the, the top there? It says what? A history, a history timeline. So I took, again, a lot of history and put them on a page that you could just see some of just how the Bible was put together. So I've given you kind of themes of the Bible. Uh, that chart there is more specifically the history of how the Bible was put together. And the second half of it, when you kind of go down half the page, that's really the history of how the English Bible uh, came to be. And so you'll, you'll see there, and there's some, some amazing things that happened in this history chart represents the fact that the Bible was actually not accessible. If you go about halfway to 600 AD, uh, read that sentence, the Bible was restricted to only Latin. All other versions were considered illegal. And in history, this was a big turning point because the truth of the Bible and the themes and the story of redemption were not accessible to any English-speaking people in other languages too. There was just this lock on, if you knew Latin, and you could get your hands on it, you could read it. That the majority of the world at this time did not know Latin and were not wealthy enough to get a copy to learn or get tutors to teach them. And so we had a period of history in which the Bible was out and God's truth was there, but nobody knew it. And that began, if you've heard of the period of the Dark Ages, the Dark Ages are really speaking specifically to the fact that there was no truth accessible to people. The light of God's word was, was turned off. But as you might guess, because of the theme that's throughout Scripture, it, it wouldn't, it's not snuffed out. And so what happened with the history of the English Bible is there's people that began to realize if we need to engage the Bible, then it needs to be accessible. And for it to be accessible, it needs to be written in our own language. And what began is people who decided that they were going to translate the Bible from Latin into English. The problem was is that that was illegal and not allowed. And because of that, people had to decide, okay, am I going to actually aim my life to translate and to get the Bible into people's hands so they can read it? And many people died. And so you'll see kind of the second half, uh, some about the Reformation and Martin Luther and John Wycliffe, and you'll see different names there. And these are important because these people paved the way for the Bible to be accessible for us. And the fact that our issue is engagement and not accessibility is because of these people and God working in their lives. And what these people did is they sacrificed and actually many died so that we could have the Bible. The reason I say that is because it's so easy for us to take the Bible for granted and not realize the many lives that were sacrificed for us to have a copy of it and have access uh, to it. And so I want to end with just this question. And that's why. Why would people be willing to pay a price to make the Bible accessible? Why would people be willing to die to do that? And the reason is, and this is what I'm going to talk about the rest of the series, the reason is, and you'll see that, that last point, is that 
The Bible is alive, and it is life-transforming. The people were willing to lay down their own life is that so other people could experience life from reading it. It meant that much to people. They had experienced the truth for themselves. It had changed them from the inside out, and they were willing to lay their life down so other people could have access to it. This speaks a little bit to the Bible's reliability, but why would people through the centuries be willing to do that? It's because their own life was was transformed. And there's a scripture, Hebrews 4, 12, you'll see it up here. It says, for the word of God is living and active. It's, it's alive. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Oh, there's a few words there. Obviously, living means alive. Active, uh, God's word being active means it's effective and it's at work. So it's, it's working as you read it. It's doing something. Uh, one of my mentors says, as you read the Bible, it actually reads you. As you read it, it reads you. And it's saying it's this light that shines on every part of us. It pierces, as you see there. And that's this idea. It penetrates. It penetrates hardness of heart. It penetrates darkness. And it cuts right through to the soul, the spirit, the joints, and marrows. And what it's this saying is these things that are hard to discern the division of things, whether it be your soul or your spirit or or even the joints and marrows of yourself. Like, you can't divide that thing up. How is it divided? It says the the word of God, it cuts right through it. It illuminates the truth, and it does so to the heart. And the heart is is really our our mind and will. Many times, because of the idea of believing in in your heart, you, you think it's today's culture like a feeling. Well, in the Bible, the heart is speaking to that which guides us. It's like the cockpit of a plane. If you have the cockpit of the plane, you you have control of the plane. It's going to go where the pilot says. What has control of your heart has control over you, and it's going to go where it says. And so the scriptures are saying it will cut through right to your heart so that it can guide you. And God wants to guide you through uh, his word, and that's the intention of scripture. But for that to happen, we, we must read it. When I was uh, newly married, we, we went on a, a cruise. And any of you guys been on a cruise before? They're, they're amazing. I highly recommend it. Uh, we went on a cruise and we didn't have a ton of money for this vacation. And so we got an inside room on some floor in the middle of a boat. And there's no windows. And the room is pretty small. And you go into this room and I remember we, we went to bed, and we woke up the next day, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, it's so early. Like, I didn't sleep good, and, man, like, we've got to get up. We wasted, you know, it's, it's so early. I just, and, and I look, and, and I thought it was 6 a.m., and it was 10 o'clock in the morning. I had no concept of time because there was no light. There was no windows, and it was just quiet. And what the Scripture is saying is we, we tend to live life when we don't engage the Bible. We live life in this closed-up room with no windows, no doors, and it's dark. And the Bible is, is living and active, and it's as if where windows weren't, the walls open up and the light 
shines in and the light penetrates every aspect of, of darkness. And you begin to get to orient yourself. You know that it's daytime. You know that it's nighttime. You know the timing and you know how to, to live because of that. And that's, that's what the, the Bible is saying. It's, it, it doesn't come to judge us, but to assess so we know what's going on inside. Have you ever just wondered, what, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why do I think what I think? Why do I say what I say? You guys ever thought that? I know I have. The Bible cuts right through, and it will tell you why. It will illuminate. The light will get turned on, and you'll have insight. It gives you the ability to assess what's happening. It gives you promises. It gives you the truth. And so over the next two weeks, I want you to kind of move towards how do I open up the walls of my life so that the light of God's word can come in? And how can I see like I've never seen? And so as I close, um, I want to encourage you to take some next steps. And these are pretty straightforward. I've I've mentioned them. If you want some of the resources that I've talked about today, you can check out the info table. I'm going to be after there, uh, at there, the table after service. Uh, If I've never met you, I'd love to meet you. And if if you have questions, please uh, feel free to, to ask them as well. If you'd like some more resources of the Bible Project, that video, there's a lot more videos that you could watch. And if that's something you think, you know what? I need to learn some more. Um, we want to help you with that. And so if you write Bible Project on your connection card and drop that in there, I'll, I will send you a link. And then the next, next step is just come back next week, and I'm going to build on what, what, I, what I've talked about. So come back. Uh, consider a friend that, that may want to come. And so the band's coming up. Uh, we're going to receive our offering. If you can finish filling out your connection card and then drop that in as it comes by, uh, we're going to sing a song back to God, receive our offering. Then we're going to close out our our service. Uh, We do have donuts uh, after a service for you guys to enjoy. So please feel free to meet somebody that you haven't met. And last but but not least, I wanted to introduce a special friend today. Ian, will you raise your hand? Ian didn't know I was going to do this, but Ian is, uh, and Mandy, that's his wife. Uh, They're good friends of mine. Ian is the artist that I have used the last few months to begin building Ridgeview Church. And so let's give Ian a hand there. Uh, this is Ian's first time coming, and as Ian came, I said, Ian, you saw your, your fingerprints all over this place because our logo was designed by Ian, our website. Ian, how many of you guys got a pen? Ian. Offering envelope? Ian. And so Ian has been here each week, even though he hasn't. And so uh, thank you, Ian, for all, all your work to, to help us. And so I, I'm really glad you guys are here today. So have I prayed yet? Okay. I just got flowing there. Land the plane, Alex. All right, I'm going to pray. God, we, we thank you for your word. And it's so easy to take it for granted because we can see uh, it everywhere, just Bibles and verses and, and different things. But, God, you've given it to us to engage and to learn and to be guided by the truth of your word. And so thank you that you've not let us alone to figure things out by ourselves. You've come alongside us with your instruction and with your promises and with your commands. So God, help us to find time to disengage some of the things that distract us and engage in your word. So show us right now uh, maybe some distractions that we have, whether it's our phone, whether it's our TV, whether it's 
the internet, anything that can cloud our time and our judgment. God, help us to take time to read the truth of of the words that you've given us. So we thank you for that. We ask, God, that you'll continue to allow us to, to apply it to our lives. We ask for your help in this as well. In the name of Jesus, amen.